All right. Well, good morning. Good to see you all again. Uh, it's always such a, man, it's such a privilege and a pleasure to be able to uh, visit with you all. I love when Tony gives me the call and says, hey, can you come and, and hang out with our folks? Um, you all are so sweet to us and so welcoming and always so great to our family. So uh, we, we love being with our Cornerstone family up in the north. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Andrew Dempsey. Uh, I'm from around here. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at a church in South Columbus called Cross City Church. Um, and so we, you know, bring greetings from the south uh, to you northerners up here. Um, but, but Tony and I have been friends uh, for a long time, and, uh, and a lot of you here that we've been able to get to know and be friends with for, for many, many years. And so it's always a treat and a joy to, to be with you this morning. Thanks for being so welcoming to us. Um, beautiful time of worship with you, Joe. Thanks for all that and, and the team. So uh, if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and take that out. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. I think in your few Bible, it's page 977. I did my homework a little bit on that one. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll read it for us. Uh, to begin, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll chat about uh, what, what I think the Lord wants us to know from this passage this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says this. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So this, this passage today, I think, is, is one of these sort of key, pivotal, course-striking texts in the New Testament. There are many of those, but I think this one's really, really helpful for us as God's people. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever part of the city, whatever part of the state, or whatever part of the world we find ourselves in, I think that, that what we see here really helps to give shape, really helps to, to sort of set a course for us as God's people when, it, when, we, when we start to think about, okay, what does it mean for us to sort of live together, to, to, to do life, to do ministry, whatever, whatever that word means, with one another, to one another, to others around us. I think this text is, is really, really pivotal text for us to kind of have in our, in our file, right? We all sort of have the, this file of, 
Hopefully we have a file of, of texts from God's Word that are especially like shape-giving to us or meaningful in our hearts or that God has used along our journey to sort of shape us profoundly. This is one of those for me. It helps us to sort of think clearly about what it is that we're to sort of put our hands to as God's people and why that is. I believe it's, I believe it's a text here is, is God sort of help, helping to set us, set us a course for ministry. So we use this word ministry a lot, right? We hear that word a lot in the church, ministry, right? We talk about, uh, are you going into ministry? Oh, you, you, you're in ministry. Oh, that's, that's nice. Usually when you say that to people, they, they sort of like get kind of weirded out. Like, oh, this guy's in ministry. Like, got to be cool. Play it cool. He's in ministry. I appreciate your ministry. Well, we, I think oftentimes when we think of this word ministry, we can tend to attach a certain level of professionalism to this word in our, in our culture by and large. It's easy for us to do that, to think about the word ministry as sort of a, a profession. We often equate ministry work to those who work for the church as their job, like myself, like Tony, many of us who have given ourselves to this vocation of the church. And it's easy for us to kind of say, okay, yeah, those are the guys who are doing ministry. What can happen is when we, when we start, if we start to see this as a profession in and of itself, I don't think it's totally wrong to say that, but we have to think of that word as broader than just simply the guys who are doing it as a vocation. It's, it, there's a broader context that we see in this passage of what Paul is talking about when he says the word ministry. It's not just for those who have a very specialized set of gifts or a very unique or particular set of giftings or talents or skills. It's not limited to just a few in the body of Christ. This is not what God intends. And so, just to give us a quick little picture, snapshot of, of where we find ourselves here in the book of Ephesians, just to give us a little bit of context of what, of what Paul is saying here. We, we, we kind of pick it up right in the middle of this letter that he has written to the church at Ephesus. In the first half of this letter, he's, he's reminding them, he's laying out for them these great and grand sort of truths of the gospel, right? Chapter 1, he's, he's unfolding this, this beautiful, these monumental things about God and His character and His nature and, and the nature of salvation and God's plan and His foreknowledge and, his, and all of these things that he's unpacking in chapter 1. And he talks about this idea of us being given by God's care and His love and His grace, His very Spirit that's been given to us to every believer who is in Christ now has been given all of these spiritual blessings and they, and they come to us through His Spirit who comes to us as a grace. Chapter 2, He reminds us of this, this resurrecting work that He has done in the hearts of His people to bring us back to life and to seed us with Christ in the heavens by His grace. It's not by our works, praise God. He gives us this, this faith to believe and He wakes us up from the dead and He seats us with His Son and unites us with Him. And it says that He, he moves us from 
the, the kingdom of darkness that it talks about in Colossians, and it says it makes us citizens of his kingdom and members of his very household. It talks about adoption, how we are adopted into his very family. Chapter 3, he begins to talk about and describe how we now, the people of God, are a picture of this mystery of the gospel. This mysterious gospel. Paul talks about this idea that the gospel is a mystery. There's, there's so much about it that we, we just can't even fathom and comprehend outside of what God has shown us. But, but we now are a picture of this gospel going into the world. And as he does in many of his writings, Paul then, after he sort of reminds and unpacks and, and, and points our eyes and our gaze back to God and who he is and what he has done and these grand truths of the gospel, he, he turns the corner. We see here at the beginning of, of chapter 4, a big hefty therefore, right? Therefore. And anytime, we, we, if we have our, our good Bible study skills, we have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore, right? What is it? He's saying, therefore, what? Well, therefore, because of all of this, because of the gospel, because of who God is, and the, the, the grand plan that he has unfolded for us, and his great mercy to adopt us into his family and give us his spirit and send us out into the world to wake us up from the dead so that we can pre preach and proclaim the good news to wake others up from the dead. Therefore... We get to chapter 4. Therefore, because of that, this. And he says, therefore, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. At the beginning of chapter 4, he says this. He's saying, essentially, Deal with one another now as you have been dealt with. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. How has God acted towards you? That is what gives shapes now, shape now to how we act towards one another as God's people. We look to his action to us to see how we are to act towards one another. And he says we are to do it with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Why? Because this is how God deals with us, right? He's patient toward us. He shows us great humility. Jesus leaves his glory and comes to us and puts on flesh and is obedient even to the point of death. What great humility. We are to, to be patient. We are to bear with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. The Spirit has given us unity. That's what he talks about in chapter 2. The walls of hostility are broken down between us and God, but they're also broken down between us and us. We can have peace. We can have unity now because of the Spirit. Because of the work that God has done on our behalf. And he's urging us now to walk as if this to walk and to live as if that is actually true. Not something that is to be earned or not something that God has set out and said, a dangled a carrot before us and said, hey, you could have this if you do it just right. No, he's saying this is something that's already been purchased. It's already been delivered. It's already been given to you as a gift. 
These are now your realities. You already are God's people. If you are in Christ, you have these things. They're not things to be earned. They're not realities to be ascended to. They're gifts from God that he gives to his people and his children by his great love and his great mercy. This unity has been purchased. So we've been called into his family to be like him, to walk like him in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain this unity. And remembering that we are bonded together and peace to God and to one another. One spirit, one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. That's what we have together. This is what we've been called into as his people. And God's intention really is that we would be unified. That's, that's what he really wants. God wants his people to be unified. And the right thing. Not just cheap unity that isn't grounded in truth, but he really truly wants his people to be unified together. In verse 7, he talks about how we have all been given gifts. He gifts and equips his people, all of us, in his church as he sees fit. Meaning that not all of us are gifted in the same ways. I can't smack the cajon like Dave. That guy can play it, man. He's good. I don't have that gift like he does. We've all been given gifts in the church. And the church needs those gifts to flourish. And this brings us to where we are today. Where Paul begins to talk about what our goal is as his people as Cornerstone Church, as Cross City Church, as, as whatever, whatever we put on our sign, whatever we call ourselves, whatever location we find ourselves in, we all have the same goals. Because we've all been unified together, even though we live in different parts of town, we've all been called into the same glorious, beautiful story that God is unfolding. Look at, we look at verse 11, and we see that God has given things to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. There are many different ways that we can interpret this particular verse. We won't get into all those today. I'll let Tony handle those for you on another day. But no matter how we see this list here, I have my opinions and others may disagree, but, but one thing that we can't argue about is that God has, has given people to the church God puts certain people in certain positions and roles in the church to do what he says here is equip the saints for the work of ministry. And this is the key text, right? We often want to focus on, okay, what does he mean by apostles and prophets and shepherds and teachers and evangelists? What, are they, what, what do we do with all that? And we can forget the, the second part of that where it says, no, no. The point here is that those things, have, those people, those roles have been given to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is, a, this is a grand unfolding. This is a grand unpacking of a glorious reality for all of us in this room. If you are in Christ, 
you have been called and, and welcomed into the work of ministry. And there are those that have been given to the church as their part of their ministry is to equip others so that they can actually do the ministry. Shepherds, teachers, pastors, equippers, those who, who have been given to the church and gifted by God with gifts to equip the saints, not to be the ones that do the ministry all themselves, but to equip the saints to do the ministry, the work of ministry. This is why God gives, in our context here today, pastors to the church, elders to the church, leaders in the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. God calls all of his people to ministry. Do you see how that has to maybe change our sort of default use of the word ministry a little bit? Pastors and elders and teachers certainly have ministry to do. But part of their ministry is to equip the rest of the church. All of the things that you have going on here, your life groups, classes, things that that your pastors and, and, and the people that God has placed in this wonderful church body are to that end. Not, not just so that, that people can, can come and, and consume a religious product, but so that they can come and they can be trained and equipped and commissioned out to do the work of ministry. There's a lot of ministry that happens in this building, but there's a whole lot more that can happen outside of this building. Praise God that he has given you great men, wonderful men, to help equip and lead and teach you to do those things. So what then is this work of ministry? Talking about it a lot this morning, we should probably see what it is that it actually means when it says that we are to be, all of us in here, to be equipped to do the work of ministry, what actually is the work of ministry. We look at verses 12 and 13, we can get an idea. The work of ministry, it says, is building up the body of Christ to maturity. Building up the body of Christ to maturity. This is the primary place where ministry happens in the church. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Matthew 28. Jesus is telling his disciples what to do. Right before he zooms back up to heaven. He's giving them, he's commissioning them, right? This great commission. He's telling them what he wants them to do. He's saying, I'm leaving, and here's what you are to do. To go and make disciples. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
It doesn't just stop there. It says that they are to teach them to observe the things that he has commanded. The mission of the church is not just simply to make converts. It's definitely part of it. We want people to come to know this glorious gospel, the good news of Jesus that that he is extending to them. We want people to to come and receive this good news. but, But the ministry doesn't stop there. That is the beginning of the ministry in many ways. It's not the totality of the ministry. We are called to make not just simply converts, but Jesus says we are called to make disciples. Disciples of him. People who know what it means to follow him. People who know what it looks like to live in the ways that he wants them to live. Yes, to to, to come to faith in him. And yes, to, to put their trust in him and to have their souls redeemed and have their sins forgiven. Yes and amen. All of those things are necessary and right and good and true. But we don't Stop there. God has called us to make disciples and he has called each and every one of us to this ministry to make disciples. And disciples that are growing and maturing disciples, not just baby Christians, but growing, maturing People who are growing up in the faith. This is what it's talking about here. This is the goal of ministry. Not just to compile a a group of people who will will come to our religious events. It's not the goal of ministry. That's not the totality of what we're after. It's talking about a group of people who are growing up. Together, becoming mature in their discipleship. And what does maturity and discipleship look like? What does it tell us? What's the measure that we use? It's not me. It's not Tony. It's not Dave. It's not Chris. It's not any of. It's not any of the guys around here. But they're not the measuring stick for what it means to be a mature disciple. They may be very mature in many ways, but that's not the measuring stick that we use. What's the measuring stick that we use that tells us that the the mature disciple looks like Jesus? Jesus is himself the measuring stick for maturity. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does he look like? That's what we're after. In each and every one of us. Growing and maturing. This means that we're all involved and no one has arrived. All of us are involved and none of us have arrived. Everyone has room to grow. This isn't about professionals and amateurs. That's not what it is. This is about older brothers and younger brothers, older sisters and younger sisters, all being raised and matured under the leadership of a father 
into the image of the perfect big brother, Jesus. That's what we're called into. That's the ministry that is before all of us. And it looks different, right? There's no, there's no cookie-cutter way that that looks. We've all been given different di- uh, gifts and talents and, and skills and passions, and, and we've all been given different jobs, and we all live in different places and different cultures and communities. It's not all ex- it doesn't all look exactly the same, but it all has one goal. Maturity. And maturity that looks like Christ. This is vitally important. Because he tells us what happens if, if we don't do this. He tells us what happens if this isn't what our view of maturing and discipleship is. And ministry to one another. What does it look like? Well, he says that, that the purpose of this is that so that we will no longer be, what? Children. He's saying it's not good for us to just become converts who show up and attend religious functions. It's not sufficient, he's saying. Why? Because, because children aren't able to stand on their own. We all come to faith as children, all of us. We all enter in as children, whether we're five or whether we're 55, whether we're 80. We all enter into the faith as children in the faith. And that's okay, that's good. That's the way it's designed to be. We don't, we, don't, we don't welcome somebody in the faith and then expect them to be a fully formed and mature disciple. That's not, that's not how God has intended it. So there's grace and there's patience and it's a process. It's oftentimes a very slow process. But it is a process. And we're all expected to be moving along the line of this process. So that we will no longer be children. It's not good if we remain as children. It's actually dangerous, he says. The example that he gives here is that of a child out in the ocean. If you've ever, if you've ever gone to the beach and you take your kids out to the beach, right? You're very vigilant of your young children out into the waves. Why? Because we know that the waves could sweep them away. Much easier than an adult. Well, for me, when I was a kid, I didn't get to the ocean much, but I did go into the wave pool at Wyandotte Lake, or better known now as Zumbezi Bay. Maybe you've been there, maybe you've been around Columbus for a while, but they, what do they have at Zumbezi Bay? They have a wave pool, right? They have a pool that, that manufactures waves. It would be foolish for me to take my six-year-old, five-year-old daughter and, and when they fire up that wave machine and the bell starts ringing, to just toss her out into the deep end and say, go ahead, figure it out. It would be silly, right? We, we, obviously, we wouldn't do that. Why? Because we know that she's not able to stand on her own. But, but she could maybe stand back at the beginning and, and, and she could probably handle a, a, a few of the, the smaller waves, sure. We know that would be Foolish. This is, what, this is what the picture that Paul is giving us here of what it, it looks like. When, when we go out into the world, there, he's saying that there is waves. <laughs> there are waves coming. The waves of, of, of bad doctrine. The waves of, of human cunning and deceitful schemes, of, of things that want to distract us and, and de- de- 
demean us and things that want to make us uh, turn our eyes away from Christ and, and not trust Him and not believe Him and, and be fooled and tricked by, by deceitful schemes, right? He's, he's saying that those things are out there. They exist. And we're all going to encounter them. There are people all around us who use the Bible for all sorts of evil and despicable bad things. They twist God's words. They're false teachers. They exist. We have to be aware of them. And God says one of the ways that we are able to withstand in a culture that is, that is constantly pounding us with waves of compromise, waves of, of unbelief, waves of, is, is this really true? Waves of, did God really say? Waves of, whatever the case is. They're, they're coming for us. All you have to do is just scroll on your social media for a few minutes. You're going you're gonna to feel the waves. And if we aren't mature and maturing, we will be enticed. It will be hard for us to stand on our own. We won't know how to properly interpret the things of culture, the things that the waves of culture that are constantly battering us. The waves of this world that are against God and His ways. So how does this growth happen? Right? So we're all called into this ministry. And we're all called to be equipped to, be, to do the work of ministry. Because if we don't, We'll get knocked over by the waves. So how does this growth happen? We see it in verse 15. We speak the truth to one another in love. Speak the truth to one another in love. This is the method of ministry. Speaking God's truth to one another in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. This is the method. Now here's what this doesn't mean. We often can read that and say, oh, okay, speak the truth in love. Got it. That means I can just say whatever mean things that I want to say to people, because even if it's true, it's true, right? So God tells me to speak the truth to you in love, right? If I don't speak the truth to you, that means I'm not being loving to you. So guess what, brother? You got some bad breath. You're, you dress funny. Right? We, we, we can oftentimes take that to mean like, well, that just means we can just say whatever we want to one another as long as it's true or we think it's true because that's, that's what love is. That may not be the full picture of what Paul is trying to communicate here, right? It's not just point out one another's flaws all the time because that's the loving thing to do. That may be involved in some ways. What's the truth that he's talking about here? What is the truth that we are to be speaking to one another? It's the truth of what Paul has just unpacked in the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of who God actually is. It's the truth of what God has actually done for us. It's the truth of who we are now that God has acted on our behalf and it changed our identity. It's the truth about the reality of the gospel. It's the truth of God's word. 
This is the truth that we are to be speaking to one another and not just barraging one another with Bible verses. But we have to do it in love. We have to do it in love. It's this agape love. It's this commitment to one another that God has towards us. We speak the truth in committed love to one another. This is how, this is the, this is the method that God has ordained to be used within his body for us to grow up, to mature. It doesn't mean that we just are able to say mean things to each other now. It's not just biblical Christianese where we're just sort of lobbing trite Christian-y sounding things at each other. It may be true, but you know, God is calling us to, to have precision. He's calling us to love one another, to know one another, to know, to know one another well enough that we can actually love one another in a real way. And when we, know, when we know one another truly, we can love one another truly, and we can actually speak the truth of God's Word into one another's hearts and minds and lives in an actual meaningful way. that The Spirit allows through His ministry. We, we, when we know what's actually going on in the hearts and the lives of those around us, the Spirit enables us now to speak God's truth with precision. Not just trite Christian jargon. Christianese. But no, taking God's Word by the, by the power of God's Spirit and precisely like a surgeon ministering to one another. Speaking the truth to one another in love. In John 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in your sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He's talking about he's talking to the Father. God, your your word, Father, is the truth. And your word is what sanctifies. It's what grows us up. It's what changes us. It's what makes us more and more like Christ. The word of God applied to our hearts and our minds and our lives in meaningful and precise and helpful ways. That the Spirit enables is how we grow. It's how we sanctify. It's how we become more and more like Him. This is God's method. This is God's way. This is what He has set before all of us. Every one of us in here who is in Christ, as Paul says. This is what we're called to. And one of the key phrases that we see here is that we are to speak the truth in love and we are to grow up, and notice what it says, in every way. We're to grow up into Christ, not just in a few select hand-picked ways. That we say, okay, God, you can grow me up in these areas. These other areas are kind of reserved for me. I'll let you grow me up in um, my evangelism. I'll let you grow me up in my, uh, my marriage, but not in my finances, right? Whatever, whatever the case may be. We don't get to withhold things from, from God and say, okay, God, I, I would like to stay immature in these areas. We kind, of, we kind of can inadvertently do this from time to time. We can, hold, we can withhold things back from God or, one, or from one another, more specifically. 
God is saying, no, we were to grow up into Christ in every way, in every aspect of our lives. Every nook and cranny of our heart, our life is to be made open to him. I say, okay, God, it's yours. I'm submitting everything that I am, every aspect, every sphere of my life, I'm bringing it before you and I'm submitting it to you and your lordship. And I need you to help me to grow up in all of these ways. And it's not always, like I said, it's not always going to happen really fast. It's not always going to happen all at the same time. But we have to make ourselves available to him. And more specifically, to one another. And this means two things. This requires two things. One, requires that we actually live life with one another in such a way that we can actually know one another. It means that we can't just expect this to happen in an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen to the fullness of what was expected. This means that our, our, our Christianity, our life, our walk with, with Jesus involves one another and it involves being actually seen and known. It involves living with one another in meaningful ways so that we can be truly known and be truly loved. And it involves two. We actually have to know how to speak the truth of the gospel into all of the areas of our lives. We have to know how the gospel connects to every area of our life. We have to know that, that God cares about every area of our lives. That there isn't just a church me and a non-church me. There isn't just a Jesus me and a non-Jesus me. It's all, it's all his. When we come into his kingdom, into his family, all of us comes in. And we have to know this is part of the equipping, right? This is part of the equipping is, is all of us learning how the gospel comes to bear on every area of our lives. It's not always easy. Sometimes it takes work. Sometimes it takes wisdom. It takes training. Sometimes it takes uh, years of God's word to know how, does, how do I bring the gospel to bear into my profession? How do I bring the gospel to bear really well in my marriage, in my parenting, in my finances, in my, my sexuality, whatever the case is? How do I, how, what does God have to say about this? How, how does this area of my life come under the kingship of Jesus? We have to know for ourselves, but we also, this is, this is the beauty of the body of Christ, is that we have one another to help with this. That we, we have what's called blind spots, right? We have areas of our lives that we're blind to, that we, that we don't recognize. And so God gives us brothers and sisters to come alongside of us and say, hey, th you're, you're missing this. This is an area of your life that I think you probably need to grow in. But we have to know how to speak into that area with the truth of the gospel, with the truth of God's word. Some of you may remember an old TV show called Mad TV. 
And if you don't know what that is, just think of like a, it's like a great value Saturday Night Live. Like a generic knockoff. Well, I remember years and years ago, I was watching this show, and, and they had this particular skit on this show. And it's, it's, the skit is, is a, a, a therapist. He's in his office, and he's sitting at his therapist's desk, and a lady comes in who's, who's his, his client, right? And she comes in, and he says, okay, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's wrong. And she goes, well, she goes, you know, really, I think at, at the bottom of it, I'm really just afraid of being buried alive. That's what she says. It's really impacting my life. I'm suffering. I'm afraid of being buried alive. I can't go through tunnels. I can't be in small rooms. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm really afraid. My therapist looks at her and he goes, oh, okay. It sounds to me like you're dealing with claustrophobia. It sounds to me like you're, you're claustrophobic. He says, I'm going to give you Two words that are going to help you to not be claustrophobic anymore. She goes, great. That sounds awesome. She's like, should I, should I write it down? He's like, no, no, it's, it's easy. You'll remember it. Remember. She's like, okay, I, I'm ready. He's like, well, what are the two words that are going to help me to not be claustrophobic anymore? And he looks at her and he goes, stop it. Just stop. Stop it. Right? And he starts to get like, Louder, he's like, just, just stop it. Stop being claustrophobic. Will you stop? Stop it. And, he, and obviously, the point of the joke, you, you, you can immediately kind of sort of see the point of the joke, right? It's, it would be silly for, for you to go into a, a counselor or a therapist and for you to, to unpack, here, here's what's going on in my heart and my life, and here are my weaknesses, and, and here's what's going on, for them to just go, yeah, well, you should just stop. Just stop doing this. Just stop struggling with those things. Why don't you just quit it? Knock it off. We, we know that sounds absurd, right? How often, how often is this how we address one another? We come to one another with, with hey, I'm struggling with this sin. I'm struggling with this weakness. I have this area of my life that, that I'm not doing well in. And we tend to go, well, you should just stop doing those things and you should do other things. Stop doing these sinful things and do these non-sinful things. We go, okay, yeah, thank you. Thanks for that great advice, right? We, we, yes, that's the goal, right? The goal certainly is for us to stop doing these things and to do other things, but there's other work that needs to be done, right? There's other work of discovery. There's other work of, of really getting into our hearts and knowing what's in our hearts and our minds and what we're, <clears throat> what we're struggling with. When someone has a sin problem in the church, the Bible calls this fruit, bad fruit. This is, the, this is the picture that Jesus gives us, right? We know a tree by its fruit. When we are producing bad things in our life, this is called bad fruit. When we, when we encounter bad fruit in our lives or the, fr the, the bad fruit in the lives of our brothers or our sisters... We can't just say, okay, take off that bad fruit and just put on some, just staple on some good fruit. Take those bad apples off, go to the store and buy some shiny new ones and just staple those bad boys on. 
That's essentially what we say when we say, just stop, stop doing those things. Do these other things. No, why? Because the things that we do, this is what Jesus' point is. Jesus' point is the fruit grows out of something. It grows out of our hearts. It grows out of the things that we believe to be true, the things that we hold most valuable and dear to us. What are our values? What are our beliefs? What do we believe to be true about God? What do we believe to be true about what God has done for us? What do we believe to be true about who God says that we are? These are the things that must be uncovered in our hearts and our lives. And these are the things that must be spoken into with the truth of God's Word. It's not just stop doing this and do this other thing. We must, we must have our hearts examined. What are, we, what are we operating, what area of unbelief are we operating in? How do we get the bad fruit to change into good fruit? Well, it, it's not external, right? Jesus says that it's, it's an overflow of what's coming out of us, of our heart, of our beliefs, of our trust. Who do we believe God is? What do we believe He's done? Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. In Galatians 3, he asks, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing in faith? How did you come to where you are now? How did you come to be in the family of God? How did you come to be in Christ? Did you do that by the works of your flesh? The works of the law? No. Did you do that by a hearing and by faith, which is a gift? Are you so foolish? This is Paul's words. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being erected by the flesh? What is he saying, right? I think you guys are going through Galatians right now. Maybe you've already gone through this. He's saying, the work that was begun in you by the Spirit will be continued by the Spirit. And the Spirit is in all the people sitting around you. And God will use those people around you who are also filled with the Spirit to speak the truth of God's Word, of His love, into your life. So that you can grow up. Not in your flesh, but in the Spirit. The Spirit who directs all of this work. We are not saved and sanctified simply by changing our behavior. Our behavior hopefully will change. (laughs) But that's not what makes us who we are. It is a fruit. It's a result of who God makes us to be. We are changed by having the truth of God's Word change our hearts and our minds the power of his spirit. Romans 12 makes this very clear, right? We are, we, are, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is how God brings it to be. And this is the work that he has called all of us into. No matter where we go to church, no matter where we live, we are all called into 
this ministry. And if we aren't tethered to the truth of God's Word, we will be tossed back and forth. We will be knocked over by the waves. We will not be able to stand on our own. We will constantly be pummeled. This is all hands on deck. It's all hands on deck. This is not a rebuke. This is an encouragement. I know that there are many, many of you in this room that I know personally who get this. I know that your pastors get this. So I'm joining them and encouraging all of us toward this. This is not a rebuke. This is not, wow, you guys are, no, this is, a, this is an encouragement to all of us that, that God is calling us into this beautiful work of ministry so that we can all grow up and we can stand on our own through the power of His Spirit. And then Paul closes it out. Our, our last couple of verses here. He says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, the whole body, that's every one of us, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, do you see how he's bringing all of us in? He's saying all of the parts of the body are valuable and they're all designed by God's purpose and His care to function properly. That's all of us in here. That's not just those of us who receive paychecks with the church's name on them. That's all of us in here. When that is happening, it makes the body grow. Not just numerically, maybe that is numerically, but it makes the body grow, grow up into Christ so that it builds itself up in love. The body is not going to function properly unless all of us are doing our part. You ever break your pinky toe? It throws off your body for a while, right? You think, well, it's just a pinky toe. It's not that important, right? No, it's pretty important when you break it. When it's not functioning properly, you notice it. And the, body, the body suffers. <laughs> Don't think that the position that God has given you in His family is less than significant. You have been gifted and called and equipped by the Father to play a part in His body. Whatever that part is, He's welcoming you into it. And He will give you what you need to accomplish it. And if we can do that, our bodies, our churches will function well. They look different. We'll have different passions and different styles of music and different preachers and different carpet and different windows. You guys have way better windows than us. But we have the same goal. We have to be willing to tell each other the truth. God's truth. And we have to be willing to receive the truth. God's truth. We have to be willing to live lives with one another in such a way that that we can be known. And that we can know. And we can be loved. And we can love. 
This is the only way that we will grow. This is the way. And if we want unity, this is the way. If we want to see God's blessing and His, and His uh, growth in our church and, and, and His impact, this is the way. This is it. This is what He has prescribed. This isn't my idea. Tony didn't put me up to this. This, isn't, this is God's stuff. And we have, to, we have to look at it and we have to say, okay, God, what do you want for us? What have you told us what to do? And this is one of the places where we can say, this is very clear what God is telling us to do. And so let's do it together. Let's do it in unity. Let's do it in truth. And let's do it in love. Let's pray. Before we take communion together, God, we, God, we're so thankful. So thankful for your truth, God. We're so thankful that you have given us your word so that we can know you, we can see you clearly, God, and you haven't left us to ourselves. You haven't, you haven't abandoned us. You haven't just released us to the wild and say, okay, go figure it out. God, as your people, you have You've called us. You've adopted us in. You have made us your children. You have committed yourself to love us and to grow us and to shape us for the rest of eternity. You've committed yourself to us, God. And we praise you for that. And God, we ask that you would help us, all of us in this room that need to hear these words this morning, that you have invited all of us in to participate in the work of ministry, to speak the truth in love to one another so that we can all grow up into Christ and we can all go out commissioned as your people, as ambassadors for you. But God, we need your help. We know that we can't do this in our flesh. These are not things that are produced by the flesh. So God, would you, in your kindness, in your grace, in your mercy to us, by your spirit, give us the strength to do these things. And so God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the good news that unites us to you. That Jesus came, he lived, and he died. His body was broken for us so that we could be united back to you, God. And so we love you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name.